This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space, a live show devoted to subjects that are hard to talk about because they make us feel afraid, vulnerable, ashamed, just really uncomfortable. Tonight's show is part of an ongoing series on working with our dreams, and tonight's topic is nightmares. My guest is Dr. Jeannie Safer, and Dr. Safer's taught dream interpretation to psychotherapists for over 15 years at two different psychoanalytic institutes in New York City. She's written chapters on nightmares, four books about them. She's kept a diary of her dreams ever since she was 10 years old. And she has written and published four different books on sub taboo subjects, all of which she wove into them, her dreams and the insights that they gave her into these subjects. She's made dream interpretation a central focus of her work over the past 35 years. Welcome to Safe Space, Jeannie. I'm delighted to be there. In fact, I should say welcome back because you've been a treasured guest. Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's a wonderful experience to talk about these things. So let's start out by, um, tell me about how you began, you know, at 10 years old, keeping a journal of your dreams. This is an unusual story. Well, I, not only did I start a dream journal at the age of 10, but around the same time, I decided that, kind of, it came to me, that my vocation was to be a psychotherapist. And I, to this day, I don't know exactly what made me decide that, but um, my whole life has and been around trying to understand others and myself, I'm undoubtedly starting with my family, and dreams somehow always felt like they were a part of that. And I remember probably when I was maybe 12, getting there was a big old modern library edition of Freud. It was kind of the complete works of Freud in one volume. <laughs> uh-huh. And a translation that's been totally discredited for the last 50 years. But anyway, um, the first book in there was The Interpretation of Dreams, and which was his great breakthrough, talk about a taboo subject, <laughs> and uh, of course he, he analyzed his own dreams in it, but I remember very carefully underlining some of his basic ideas, and the biggest one was that all dreams are wishes, and I remember sitting there as a, as a you know, young teenager thinking, well, this dream was awful, like, where's the wish? <laughs> no kidding. Which is, which is a question that we can continue to have, right? So I remember that very, very strongly, that that was... Um, that was an important thing to me from very early on. Yeah, and um, I mean, it's a wonderful thing because I've tried to read. I've read Freud as, a, as an adult, and I don't always find it so clear. So no, you clearly not. found your, your correct profession. Um, so did you suffer from nightmares when you were little? I wouldn't say suffer any more than any kid does. You know, I didn't have night terrors. I didn't wake up screaming. I, I know I had intense dreams because I have intense uh, experiences when I'm awake, you know, and usually they go together. Um, I don't recall early nightmares, although I, I mean I don't recall the content. I didn't have what I remember as recurring dreams, although I have had ser- several series of recurring dreams throughout my life, and there's a quality of recurring dreams in general that they tend to be uncomfortable at best. Uh-huh. And, and do you think that nightmares tend to recur? Very often, um, certainly with my patients, and and the one that um, one particular one is uh, there's a difference between a nightmare and an anxiety dream. Nightmares are the ones you wake up screaming in a cold sweat, or you're very glad to be awake. At anxiety dreams, you wake up uncomfortable, but it's not the same kind of oh, kind of feeling. Mm. Um, although they they can be pretty disturbing too. <laughs> 
Uh, you don't usually have, you can have the same content in an anxiety dream and a nightmare, and in the nightmare you're just, you know, you wake up with shudders, and in the anxiety dream you wake up and think, oh, I just killed somebody, or somebody killed me, how come it didn't hurt? You know, kind of thing. So it's, right. more, it's more disconnected. Um, so you know I, it by your own relationship to it, in a way. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes, you'll, you know, I'll hear a patient tell a dream that sounds nightmarish, and they'll be totally disconnected from it. And I feel somebody that does that, that dream is going to recur because they haven't made a connection to whatever it is that their psyche is revealing. Uh-huh. So, so let's talk a little bit about that. So in your mind, a nightmare, is, this, is your psyche trying to reveal something? Yes. I really feel that it's telling you something that you need to know and you can't stand to know. Mm. And very often, it's really fascinating that um, I have several patients who went through very disturbing things in their lives, and they have no memories, no conscious memories, but their dreams are so clearly full of it. And And so sometimes the dreams are ahead of your awareness. And And they could be a source, they could be a tremendous source of information for for the most disturbing things. That's what I. Th- that's why I think you know they're they're a very troubling but important gift. <laughs> yes, it's hard to think of them as a gift at oh two God, o'clock yes. in the morning. I know, I know. Right, but so you're saying that in a way, it's they are offering you something uh, that's very disturbing that you need that it's hard to know. Yes. Is it something about yourself usually? It's it's always something about yourself because you know you're the one who creates the dream. It has to be about you, but it's. But it could be you in terms of your experience, in terms of feelings you don't want to know about, in terms of some basic themes in your life that you can't stand to know. And sometimes, you know, my own are about themes that I kind of know about, but I don't know about with the intensity that my dreams tell me that them. You know, it makes me think, uh, Carol Gilligan once said that the definition of psychology had to do with the things that we knew that we couldn't know that we knew. Yeah, and that's excellent. I think that... Um, you know, mm-hmm. dreams sound like very much like that. Things yeah. that we so you as you're describing, you sort of know it, but the dream confronts you with it. Well, it's also because it's kind of like a movie. I mean, you see it. You know, when it's, it, dreams are so visual. I mean, they're they're poetry, but they're also like movies. And somehow, the the very physicality of it makes it more vivid to you. Yes, yeah. it's a very embodied experience. Yes, and they don't mince words. You know. They they just they tell it to you blatantly in language that is well it, visual language, and they're they're. Uh, I think you could pr- very often productively work on a disturbing dream for a long, long time. Well, maybe that's a great segue to ask you: Would you be willing to share with me a, a disturbing or a nightmare dream of your own? Well, certainly. There's there's uh, two particular ones that are, that are interesting to me. One was a dream that I had the same night as a patient. We could talk about that later. Uh, that, was, that was disturbing in a million ways because it made me rethink also what the whole therapy communication process is. Meaning <laughs> that you and your, dr- your patient had the same dream. Yeah, and he was in my dream. That was the difference. But it was really being in his mind, in his very troubled mind, I think. But the dream that, that I am still, that my psyche has decided that I haven't finished working on yet. <laughs> okay is what I call the Chicago dream. I gave it a name. I figured anything I could do to make it, you know, something that I could handle better. Mm. And these are their variations, and they've, they have shifted happily, but I've had it for 40 years. 
uh, ever since I actually went to college at the University of Chicago in Chicago. And in these dreams, it's always winter, which uh, if you've ever been to Chicago, <laughs> is an experience. It can be a nightmare in itself. And it's bleak, and I'm alone, and I don't know what to do, and I have to go back there and be in school there, no matter what age I am. I mean, I'm I'm 62 and a half, and I'm still having to go there. <laughs> um, and and usually the experience is I'm trying to find out what I have to do and where I have to go, and there's no one to ask. And I keep trying to find somebody desperately to figure out what should I do. Are there classes I have to take? Um, is there someplace I have to live? How do I know what to do with you know? Just the very like sometimes I'm in a room and and. Um, I want to figure out what I need, but there's no pencil and there's no paper. It's that kind of thing. No basic supplies. And it's kind of the equivalent of arriving in a foreign country when you have no money, no passport, you can't speak the language, and you don't know which way you're going. Right. It's that kind of feeling. And it it has plagued me and tormented me. And part of what's interesting about it is that on the surface, I am the last person that you would ever think is like this. How do you mean? People always tell me that I am very uh, clear, that I, 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 I kind of am the voice of reality, that I know exactly what's what, I'm you know, very assert, all those kind of things. Yes. Right. And here I am in this dream, and I know this is a truth about me, but there's been a very interesting shift in this dream over time. At first, I was just there, and I would wake up every time in the state, and I couldn't connect it so easily with whatever I was going through in my life, because that's, that's one of the first questions I always ask, and you know, I think we should always ask, why the stream? Why now? What's going on? Why do I have to do this again? You know? Yes. Um, but, but what would happen more recently is I would say things like, well, why do I have to come back here? I mean, for goodness sake, I, I mean, I already graduated. You know, and not only did I graduate, but I've been in practice and I live in another place. <laughs> and I would be saying, I don't even know to who I was saying it. Sometimes my husband has joined me in the stream, which I was very grateful for. I bet. No kidding. Because <laughs> usually there's nobody I know. You know, and the place looks totally different except the feeling of being cold and alone and, and you know, mostly just not knowing, you know, not knowing anything. And not knowing, not knowing where to go to get anything. And the one I had a month ago, was it about a month ago? Yeah. The most recent variation of this um, was a big shift. In this dream, it was the same scenario. I didn't know who to talk to. I couldn't find an advisor. But I said to whoever, I said, well, why am I doing this? I've written five books. Mm-hmm. Not only did I graduate from college, but, you know, I got a Ph.D. And I've written five books. Now, what's interesting about the scene is I've only written four. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I thought, and this is the first time I ever laughed at the dream, and I thought, well, okay, you know, it's a nightmare. You know, it's a very scary dream, but there was this little comforting place because someplace inside me, and believe me, it's not conscious, Somebody had realized that I was going to finish this one that I was just starting that day. I see. So you, the dream came on the day that you started your fifth book. Yes. Apropos of your question about why this dream, why now? Yes. 
Uh-huh. And I was, I mean, it was actually funny, although what, what it took me to, um, because it was a very intense one before that, was that, you know, I, I've always been wondering, like, what this dream is about. And because I'm writing, I'm, I'm writing a second book about siblings and, and sibling conflict, I realized that this dream was not about my experiences at the University of Chicago. It was about my adolescence. And it was about the fact that I never had anybody to turn to, mm. although it looked like I did. And that feeling of not having any clue where to get real help and advice. And it really hit me that that's what it was about. And that I had never really worked through all of the meanings of that. Even one of the things I did with this dream a number of years ago, maybe 10, I'd only hit it for 30 years at that point, right? Right. I had to be in Chicago um, because I was doing, actually, I was doing um, book publicity, of all things. And my husband was with me, and I said, okay, 30 years is enough. Let's go down to the University of Chicago. I got to be there. In the, we were in the winter. <laughs> I want to be there. <laughs> I want to do some, some exorcism here. <laughs> right. I actually did this. We wanted to go face down your fear. No? Yes. I wanted to be there, and I wanted to see, is there something here that can connect me more to this? So I don't keep re- just repeating it. Yes. And what was really interesting, we took a $40 cab ride there from mm-hmm. downtown Chicago. It's on the south side of Chicago. And, and my husband told me that as we were getting close to the exit, he saw me get tenser and tenser, and that he'd never seen me in that state. And we got there, and I didn't recognize the place, but this, the emotional state was as though I had never left. And I said, we have to go to this place here that I like, that I was comfortable in. We went there, and we found it kind of in ruins, and I burst into tears. Mm. And, but it was very important to do that, because I was trying to ground myself with this. Yes. And it was a real opportunity to actually face down a nightmare in a place. No kidding, a very concrete place. Oh, yes. Yes, and did it did it help you feel sort of more empowered in relation to your dream? Yes, it did. Yes, it did. I mean, not that they stopped, but I think, you know, when I think back, I actually, until you said that, I've never really realized this. I think they started to shift in certain ways where I would start to say then, well, wait a minute, why am I back here? I mean, I've done this, I've done this, you know, this kind of stuff, which before I was just in it. Right, because now it sounds like you're actually protesting the dream while you're in the dream. Yeah. Or you're, you're protesting to your psyche. It. Why, are you, why <laughs> are you doing this to me? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's kind of having a conversation with your psyche. Because I think, you know, one of the most important things is to be able to interact with your dream. Because that way, particularly with a nightmare, it doesn't just befall you. Yeah, so you have a relationship with your dream. Yes. Yeah, yes. So, and you've had a, a 40-year-long relationship. Yes, with, with this, this dream. particular... <laughs> Yes, I mean, I can, because what strikes me listening to you is that in a nightmare, you're not only a victim of some kind in the dream, but then in your waking life, the experiences of feeling victimized by the dream itself. Absolutely, and even victimized to the point that you don't want to go to sleep, you know, yeah. um, that I, you know, it's like it robs you of, of, of the possibility of repose, and, and I think it's so important to say to this dream, okay, you know, like, like, uh, 
who was it? Uh, was it Jacob that wrestled with the angel? Yes. You know, tell me what you've got to tell me. Yes. I'm willing to listen. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, out with it. You know, and it really, I I think that's an important thing to do. So, uh, can I? May I respond to your dream? Absolutely. So Please, what, I've never told it to anybody. <laughs> Especially not on the radio. I mean, what strikes me about it is, and just knowing you a little bit, you've written these uh, very courageous books on subjects that are very taboo, and you haven't really had someone walking ahead of you, kind of creating mm-hmm. the path for you. You've been out there doing something very courageous alone without any guide. No, that's right. And I'm just so struck at... Um, and it happens right when you start your newest, very yeah. kind of vulnerable book where you're taking a lot of personal risk, and, and there's no authority figure to tell you how to do it. That's right. And it, it sounds like it echoes back to your adolescence when it, you felt that It does, same way. and of course there's all this stuff to read, but you can't find in anything you read anything that's really going to tell you what to do. You have to assimilate it. And make it yours. And, you know, there's nothing like a blank page to tell you that there's nobody to tell you what to do. Indeed. <laughs> exactly. There you are. Well, that's, there that's you very are. true. You know, it's one of the reasons that, that with, all, with all whatever complicated things about Freud there are, to think this man looked at his own dreams, you know, and looked at them scientifically. And there's a wonderful um, uh, epigram in... Um, Epigraph, actually, in the interpretation of dreams, it's it's a phrase from um, the Aeneid, and the translation is, "If heaven won't help me, I'll move all hell." Huh. And you know, how do you? So where do you go with that? What well, do you, it's, I'll face it. Whatever it is, I will face it. You know, I'll look. I'll look at what you know nobody looks at, and 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 that's he's really uh, very inspiring in that kind of way. But it's interesting what you what you say about this dream. It's I mean, I have chosen to go when a woman has gone before. <laughs> Absolutely, you have. You have. But that doesn't mean that, that it's not scary to do it. Into very uncharted territory. Mm. Very. This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne. This is Safe Space, and I'm talking to Dr. Jeannie Safer about nightmares, working with uh, your own nightmares, Jeannie. But also, I want to ask you now a little bit about... How, you know, you've obviously, what you have raised hell, you have been willing to go march right into the heart of your nightmare and try to face it down and yes. ask for the blessing like Jacob yes. the angel. <laughs> so if, if in your work, if you have a patient that comes to you and is terrified to go to sleep or terrified of their dreams or feeling haunted by r- repeated nightmares, how do, you, how do you help them? What do you do? Well, the first thing I would say is that there's a reason that you have this dream. And the more we understand what this is about, the more these images will be yours and they won't be just flooding you this way. You know, that it's, a, it's so frightening because you haven't been able to understand what it is you're trying to say to yourself. And we want to try to translate that. So one of the things you do when you help someone interpret a dream is you are their companion. You know, you, you, you go into it with them. Mm. And you go in assuming that there's a gift there. Absolutely. And I also go in assuming that we could figure out something that it means. You know, and also I know from a lot of years of experience and, and also my own, uh, you know, attraction to dreams is that it's a language that you can 
that you can understand if you listen. You can enter another person's psyche in a very profound way through their dreams and probably most profoundly through their nightmares. Mm. And the most, one of the most rewarding things in therapy is when a nightmare just turns into a scary dream and then is expressed in scary thoughts but, but, but verbalized. That progression is the feeling that you, you, being able to take someone with you into a dream makes such a difference. Mm-hmm. You know, I think back to my own training and being told that the, the goal of psychotherapy is to, uh, to acknowledge, bear, and put into perspective those feelings that until then have been unbearable. Mm. And it, that sounds like that's your, your approach with a nightmare. Absolutely. To acknowledge it, to bear it. Yes. And then, you know, to make the meaning and of it. And that when you look at it and when you come to it, you know, without being so adversarial, you know, to not just, like, want to close your eyes and say, oh, I don't want anything to do with this. You know, it's not so disconnected from you. And, and it's being more connected to whatever it is that will make you less terrified. Right, even though what, what, what your instinct is is the less connected you can be, the better. Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. I, I guess my whole philosophy is, you know, Get in the cab and go to the University of Chicago. <laughs> yes, that's right. Move toward the thing that scares you. Right. That's right. You mentioned um, prior to this interview that you have some rules for working with dreams, and I uh, I wondered if you could tell tell me those sure. rules. Well, actually, I mean, I, I wish I could take credit for them, but but they're they're pretty classical uh, things in 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 dynamic psychotherapy. Um, the first most important one. And the one that like leads to all the others is that everything in the dream is related to you because you made it. You know, even though we're watching it like a movie, you wrote the script, and everybody that's in it, you put there. So that means that it's totally your creation. It's a it's a creative act to have a dream, and to think when you think about that, there's an activity in your own thinking. It's not just happening to you. So so the way I'm hearing you is that you can't disown what happens. Like if there's an assault or something, some kind of really terrifying attack on yourself in the yeah. dream, what you're saying is you can't disown that, like, oh, I'm afraid of really, you know, bad people out there. Right. What you're saying is, no, no, this, I made that happen. That's right. This is a part of me. Yes, that maybe something did happen to me, but... There's also violence in my soul, and you know, and you want to look at both parts. And when somebody tells me, you know, when a patient tells me something, for instance, about something terrible that happens in a dream, I, I think to myself, well, how much of this actually happened, and how much is a metaphor for what's going on inside? And, or both, right? You know, and, and the answer is both, of course. But the point is to not leave yourself out. You know, that uh, I had a student one time, I was, I was talking about this, and I said, you know, so that means that since you made the dream, if somebody dies in the dream, you killed them. And this was a charming young woman, and she said, but what if they die of natural causes? <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, you're the natural cause. <laughs> but I'm innocent. No, I'm really right. innocent. <laughs> and you see, I think once you, you see your own protest, and, and, and actually the fact that you're laughing at it is really a healthy thing. You know, because none of us wants to be wants to be a murderer, 
And we all are in a certain way. And and once you see that that's just part of what you are, and that it's not so horrifying. Yes. And you know, it's not so horrifying anymore. Right, and the murderer can be symbolic for some part of yourself that Absolutely. you're trying to kill. It's, it, that's, why, that's why it's coming in a dream. You know, it's a part that you don't want to know about. I mean, yeah. so clearly, you know, these, these, this endless series of Chicago dreams, I mean, I would say three or four months sometimes, um, this is something that I'm, that it keeps tapping me on the shoulder and saying, there's more work to be done here. And it was really surprising to me when I had this new revelation of saying, this is a representation of something that was actually in my life. It wasn't just mm. what that experience was like being in school there. What a, what a wonderful relief. I mean, I can, even hearing you say that, I can feel the shift. Yeah. Like, oh, I and have something to work with. That, that you can shift it. Yes. You know, and you don't have to do fancy stuff like waking dreams and all that. You can just do it with just thinking about a dream. You know, and it's, it's a very kind of odd concept to welcome a nightmare. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, it, it doesn't mean, you, you don't have to welcome it unambivalently. <laughs> <laughs> You can welcome it. I say, God darn it. <laughs> right, right. So we, we don't have that much time left, but I want to just ask you a few of your, of your other rules because I know okay. that people are okay. interested. So the first is, is, is everything in the dream is part of the dreamer. Yeah. And another rule is that um, the things, the pieces of the dream that are, when one thing happens after the other, they're often causally related and one can illuminate the other. So different scenes of a dream are connected. I see, even if it seems to be one of those dreams where, like, first we're here and then, like, yes. magically I'm Tom or totally else. That's right. You're saying the thing that comes first usually causes the second thing? Or the thing that comes second causes the first thing. You know, you want to connect the dots between the parts. Okay. Because there is a relationship. Another rule is that all the dreams, this, this one is really, it's a hard one. All the dreams of the night are related. Hmm. And sometimes I can't see it, but sometimes I can Sometimes, you know, your psyche will give you different aspects of how you're feeling about the same thing. Sometimes the same object or, or theme will be. Oh, here's another rule. Uh, this, one, this one could be helpful to people. Um, about quoted material. Now, quoted material may mean that it's the name of a book or you're watching something on television or it's a movie or somebody says something, anything like that. That's material that's usually more um, uncomfortable because it's like two steps, two layers of defense. Hmm. I see. So even in your dream, you can't quite own it. Right. Right. Fascinating. Uh-huh. So that's, that's uh, you know, the, the two-minute... Um, <laughs> yes, the summary. You also said something to me before, which I thought was really interesting, is that if you're paralyzed in your dream, it suggests oh, yes. ambivalence being pulled in two different directions. That's right. The, the, the famous dream that, uh, you know, you're trying to call somebody on the phone or you're, you're calling for help and you can't do it, yes. you know, which is a real nightmare theme, yes. it, has, it has to do partially with your mixed feelings about asking for help. That makes sense. Right, that makes such sense. I thought that one really clarified something for me. You know, if you just think of angles of force, you know, uh, yes, that's right. keeping you in, in place. Yes, yes. It goes back to, like, you know, seventh-grade vectors. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Exactly. That there are these, these force fields, and there you are. And if you, if you kind of deconstruct them, you can see all of the conflicting feelings. Yes. 
So, and it sounds like we're going to have to end, but it sounds like it's an invitation to go back to those feelings and yes. and be with them, right. and and befriend befriend them yes. as much as you're befriending the dream. Yes, that's exactly right. It is such a pleasure to talk to you about your dreams. May you graduate finally and forever <laughs> from the University of Chicago. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> Good night. Look forward to the next one, Doctor Safer. Good night. Thank you. Okay, this is Dr. Ann on Safe Space. I've been talking to Dr. Jeannie Safer about nightmares as part of our ongoing series on dreams. If you'd like to contact me with a request or a suggestion, please email me at drannwmpg at gmail.com. That's dr.wmpg at gmail.com. My thanks tonight to Jen Hodgson for mixing the sound and to Maurice Lennon for the music. Coming up next is Money Talks with Allison.